So good morning, everyone. I'm Kim Leary, and this is the podcast, Agility at Work. I'm here with my co-host, Professor Mike Wheeler. Good morning, Mike. Well, it's interesting that you say good morning because it is morning for us, but people will be hearing this in different parts of the world. So good evening, I want to say to them as well. Beautiful, beautiful day here in uh, Boston. Always good to be in conversation with you and with our guest, Mike Beer, who will be joining us today. Well, Mike has been a longtime colleague of mine here at the Harvard Business School and is, you know, a... I'm a, rock star isn't the right word, but, but you know, has been a prominent figure in organizational behavior, leadership, and so forth. And that nicely dovetails with your work on adaptive leadership. I'm interested uh, from my negotiation point of view because I think internal negotiations are almost uh, always the most difficult ones we face, whether it's negotiating up for resources or down with people who report to us, we work where they're sideways with, with teammates. So let's bring them in. Yes. Welcome, Mike. You have seen a lot and done a lot, written a lot. Most recently, your book, Fit to uh, Compete. I'm interested in how you think of leadership and how our understanding of it and conceptions of it are continuing to evolve. So what have we learned about leadership is your question. I think there are also we could talk about what we've learned about organizations. But but what we've learned about leadership is – at once new and at once not new. Fundamentally, we have known for quite a long time what effective leadership is. I, I go to uh, one of the most compelling books in my field, Douglas McGregor's Human Side of Enterprise, in which he clearly identified what he thought was a better way to lead. It wasn't top-down. And it wasn't autocratic. It was about involving people in the process of whatever the firm or the organization, not-for-profit or whatever, is doing. So that's the job of the that, person in a leadership role that, to that involve was, others. That he argued is the job of leadership, and he gave obviously a lot of background to that conclusion. And his fundamental insight in the book is – that leaders with different styles, what he called X and Y, X autocratic, Y is more participative, have fundamentally different fundamental assumptions about human nature. Mm-hmm. That underlying the, underlying the top-down approach, and this would be completely consistent with what I discuss. In fact, I mentioned McGregor at one point in the book as, as an illustration, uh, is that the underlying assumption of top-down leaders is that people are fundamentally lazy or not interested in, in the larger good. They're self-interested, et cetera, et cetera, and, and you got to get them straightened out. That's really what leadership is about and make sure that you control them. So it's a control theory of leadership, uh, which is what he defined as X. The other set of assumptions under the theory Y or participative higher involvement, more human-sensitive leadership, is that people are really willing to be part of a larger system, larger good, larger organization, work collaboratively, and do the right thing uh, and want to make a difference in doing that. that. That's a basic fundamental human need. And 
That assumption leads you then to a much higher involvement process, which is basically what I talk about here in a very productive way. And I can also talk about what hasn't, what has changed, but go ahead. Well, you know, that sounds like a, a really important way to a shift in how we think about work. Yes. Yeah. You know, we spend so many hours of our lives engaged with Indeed. the firms and yeah. organizations. It has to be a place where people hope they can find meaning, where they hope they can find a deep sense of purpose. And you're saying that that's what, if we assume that that's the case, it's really going to affect the way we practice leadership. Absolutely, Kim. You you are right on target. And but this, uh, you were saying this is not a new idea. The book that you cited <laughs> yeah, right. wasn't published yesterday. How far back does that go, uh, Mike? In the late fifties. Yeah. And and those ideas were preceded by other similar ideas, but that was a crystallization of many of those ideas. So so, why isn't there just why you know <laughs> the the notion that leadership is engagement as opposed to uh, just ordering people, do this, don't do that. Well, first of all, those are characterizations at the end of the continuum, but that's that's a good way to talk about it. Why does that not exist? It, it doesn't exist because human beings are, and leaders are no different than this, uh, don't like to uh, make themselves vulnerable. That puts them at risk to some extent. So if I open up to people about involving them in some task, they may disagree with me. Uh, they may even argue with me and feel that I'm in the wrong place about this particular issue or thinking wrongly about it. Um, they don't want to be embarrassed by that feedback. No, None of us want to be embarrassed. So the nature of human beings has not changed. None of us want embarrassment. None of us want to find out and get disconfirming information about ourselves. That's not comfortable. It's true of me. It's true of you as a teacher, Mike. Uh, I prefer my students love what I do. Uh, but as you know, we have something called an ed rep that can kind of tell you that you're not doing what you should be doing. And, and that's a mechanism we've created to make you listen. Just so, just so listeners get that, I'm not even sure that Kim is familiar with it, but in the first year of the Harvard Business School, people take all of their courses, all of which are required, uh, with the same 90 people. And there's a class president and there are other offices. There's somebody who is the ed as an education representative. And it's his or her job to get a sense of where the class is in terms of how our courses are going. And there's seldom unanimity, right, even within the class. So the ones who are very good at this want to find a way of communicating with their own classmates about what's working, what isn't working so well, and how to deliver that news to the instructor who, as you say, may be a little bit defensive. And, and, and maybe unsure of themselves. Yes. So that makes them even more defensive, right? So. I'm interested. We take uh, think about the classrooms here. Um, in my experience, Mike, um, maybe ten percent of our students are have military experience, usually from the U.S., but not always, and represented sort of proportionally how big the different branches are. They've been in the service for five or six years, and then they come here. I've learned a lot from them. And one thing is, if you're talking to 
you know, young first lieutenants or maybe they made it to captain, something of, of that sort. Um, they're very attuned to what you're talking about. Absolutely. Um, it's not a matter of giving marching orders. Uh, they know the person on the ground is really experienced. I'm trying to think of their principles of um, commander's intent. Are you familiar with that, with that phrase? I, I, it looks as if you're not. No, I'm not. You're not going to be able to bail me out. I think there are six elements of it. But here's something that we need to do. And if I put myself in the role of a leader of an organization or um, of a platoon or, or whatever, you know, here's, here's what I'm proposing we do. Here's why I'm proposing that we do it. Here's what we should watch out for. Now talk to me, right? And the idea of the why we're doing it is that when there is an unexpected obstacle or an opportunity, the people out in the field actually can improvise because they know what the intent is. And they may take a different path. They may do it in a different way. But that guiding purpose is there. Both you and Kim are nodding your heads. Does that resonate, Kim, with? Oh, very much. You know, that uh, to... Figure out how to engage with the talent that you've brought into your company or your platoon or your group uh, requires this ability to uh, turn to them for advice, for consultation. But we don't really teach s- s- uh, so often how to do that well. Right. And that's the essence of my book, basically, that all, all human activity is involved in some institution, small, like a startup we Mm-hmm. Or, or large global company or government agency or whatever. Uh, and that basically the same pr- problem that we've been talking about in a small way that I raised with our classrooms, because the classroom does know what's working and not working, mm-hmm. and the instructor needs to understand and needs to have a conversation with them about how to make it better. It's got to be a collective conversation. Yes. That's the essence of my book, essentially – using this metaphor or this, this example, that basically large institutions need to do what we hope we should be doing and maybe not doing it as well because no institution is perfect, uh, of having honest conversations about how things are going or working or not working. And the book in question is Fit to Compete, and people can learn more about that by going to your website, which is beermichaelalloneword.com. Um, but it is interesting. I, mean, I took your answer when I asked if, if these ideas about um, being better at listening and understanding that even in a hierarchy, it's a collaborative enterprise, it is interesting that the, um, there's still resistance to that. Yeah, for the reasons I think we I alluded to earlier, the un, the difficulty of becoming embarrassed, of getting disconfirming information and defensiveness, this is a human condition. So I argue actually in the book that if you think about athletes who are pro athletes, mm-hmm. they have to develop a strong physique and they and learn how to the practice of being for a member of the football team uh, is and and that takes a lot of work. Uh, I argue that leaders need to do the same thing in creating their psychological physique. That's not the main point of the book, but it's in the book. Uh, In order to be able to conduct 
a good conversation with their organization that is honest and therefore puts them at risk to some extent. Uh, And they need to develop the psychological physique in order to be able to exercise effective leadership. I'm looking at you, Kim, because you're the psychologist. (laughs) It's one thing to know that you should do it. Um, A lot of us are set in our ways. Yeah, well, it's. I'd love to hear, Mike Beer, if you could tell us uh, how you begin to develop that psychological muscle, particularly in our classrooms, because I think you're talking about something that you believe any of us can get better at. It's not just that yes. we have a yes. particular kind of yes. temperament or a particular openness to learning, that there's a way that we can all improve our capacity to listen. Well, it's true that we all can learn. We all start in a different place. Some people are more ready for that than others are. Okay, so I think the learning process is at multiple levels of analysis. It is at the individual level. So how do I learn uh, about myself, Uh how I've handled personal situations in life, to what extent, you know, whether it's a relationship with my wife or a significant other or 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 person, how did that? Re- what am I doing in that relationship that might work or not work? It goes on at so most of us are members of teams, so you the same dynamics exist there, and that you can learn by having honest conversations, creating honest conversations about how are we really working as a team whether it's a product development team or senior team or whatever it might be, and at the level of the organization as a whole. So how am I leading in the organization and an honest conversation? That requires more collective conversation of the kind we talk about should happen in our classrooms as well. It's an ongoing process, I think. Uh, You and I have a fair amount of experience under our respective um, belts. I hope I continue to be a good uh, learner. Kim, you are just in the epicenter of this as I think about your teaching at the Kennedy School. Any final words as a wrap-up? You know, I think there is a kind of uh, hunger, really, among at least some of our students to practice the kind of radical collaboration that you're describing. They don't always know quite how to put all the pieces together of how their experience of, of themselves and in their teams that they've, they've already been a part of and how they begin to uh, kind of develop their capacities uh, ahead. It sounds to me like this book would be something I'd want to put on our reading list ahead. What I've really created is a leadership platform that is training wheels for leaders who don't know how to do it or are less inclined to do it but have a performance problem they no need to deal with. So those are the elements, a performance problem that you need to deal with, and then an openness to looking at how, since you're a part of the system, what your contribution is. And if you have a platform, meaning a structured process that guides you through this process the first time, you learn how to do it better, you learn something about yourself and your organization, and you can start the learning process if you continue that kind of thing. So the argument here is that you... that in addition to personal learning, you need to have a structure to enable the conversation to occur. That's what I call the strategic fitness process is a leadership platform. You know, another way to think about this maybe to use language that you're 
familiar with Mike from the negotiation world and Mike Beer uh, from the leadership world as well, is this a metaphor of going to the balcony. You know, there are many elements of how we are in a leadership role that we're not ourselves able to see because we're really just looking out through our own eyes. And you're describing how critical it is to use that platform to get the kind of information you need to see what needs to change. For, for listeners, the metaphor of going to the balcony, I think we owe 10 cents to Bill Urey every time we use the phrase. Um, he says that people who are really effective negotiators can be in two places at the same time. One is they're on stage, they're in the spotlight, they're fully engaged with the person they're talking to, and yet they have an out-of-body experience. They're way up in the back row of the, of the balcony, and they're saying, how is this going? How could I have done that differently? What more do I need to learn? So as you've been talking about leadership, Mike Beer, uh, and Kim, where you teach it, I've been thinking about negotiation, and um, it is a process of engagement. And if you think in negotiation you can bully the other person into uh, submission, good luck to you, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But that also applies in any kind of work context, as you said. So I want to thank you, Mike Beer, for your work and uh, alert people to Fit to Compete and also your website, which is beermichaelalloneword.com. So thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure, Mike and Kim. Thank you. Let's remind people about how they can chat with us and with their fellow listeners on our Negotiation 360 website. Well, it's not just the chat that they can have with us and other listeners, but there are other resources uh, on the site. Um, you can find my Negotiation 360 self-assessment and best practice app. There are links to online courses, and we're putting up articles that you and I have written together and maybe some others as well. So there's lots of stuff on agile negotiation and adaptive leadership. Much of it is free. We've even simplified the URL for podcast listeners. Here's how to find us. Just key in the letter N, as in negotiation, and the numbers 360.expert. That's N360.expert, and you'll find us. <laughs>